Hello, my name is Taylor Marsh, and welcome to Sacred to Psychic. I'm a thriller writer. My women characters live where there are few safe spaces. I delve in the hidden spaces in the mind, surfing dark shadows. These are themes of disruption, especially when sacred outreach taps psychic portals. This is my playground. Here we go. The state of the world is making everyone anxious. Sunday service may help, but what are you going to do in between? This is where meditation comes in. But as I said from the beginning of this podcast, once you start meditating, your prayers will change and your relationship with your religion may change. Now, it doesn't have to, but it may. So this journey, this journey is disruptive by nature because one of the things meditation does is it makes you be present right now in the moment in what you're doing. And that is very empowering and calming. You have to, you have to get in a place where no one can disturb you and just listen to your breath and feel your body. Your jaw, probably pretty tight. Your neck, feel the tenseness in an injury somewhere, maybe your back. Maybe you'd rather be lying down, but don't fall asleep. <laughs> Although I will warn you, if you start meditating, that may be what happens at first. You may fall asleep. Don't worry about it. That's a good thing. It's a relaxation. It isn't, uh, it isn't the active part of meditation, which happens in what Wayne, Dr. Wayne Dyer called, quote unquote, the gap. And the gap happens... When you're breathing, a thought comes in, you push it away, and you breathe, and the silence in that gap is where the magic happens. It happens when you're totally present, when you're not worrying about the future, which isn't here, and is really um, a waste of time, or the past, which you can't do anything about. And part of meditation is getting you in the moment. And once you practice this daily, you know, start with five minutes. Just breathe. Just calm yourself. Feel all those, those kinks and things. And try to get a breath. Listen to your thoughts. Don't, don't be mad about them. Just say, mm-hmm and push them away, feel the space, and it's called the void. Now, one of the reasons meditation is, uh, there's a lot of books on it, but one of the reasons meditation really is best experienced by doing is because it's very much like the principle of the Tao, which really has, is intangible. You have, to, you have to practice the Tao or meditation to understand it. It is a process for sure. 
But one of the things in the Tao uh, that that is so important is the is the principle of not. Well, they call it the principle of non-action, literally. Now, there's a gentleman philosopher from the 20th century. I'm going to read about. I'm going to read something he he wrote to you. Uh, he has a different um, way of expressing the Tao, and it's the principle of not forcing. It's 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 not about action. It's not about it. it it's not about action. It's about it's about not forcing. It is about flow. The stillness of the mind and not striving when you meditate is the same. And all these different ways in to a place where you can find a space of silence and connection with what is beyond is what the mystics do. It's the reason I said uh, in the last podcast that I've gone from Christian to magician. Some of you mystics and some of you people who dabble in uh, meditation and other things may understand what magician comes from. And it is, it is a tarot card. It's a, an arcana card from the, uh, from the tarot. And I say magician because of the law of attraction. These, these, um, these elements, uh, the, whether it's uh, tarot or oracle cards or meditation, all these different mystical-type practices are seen as bad by traditionalists and organized religion. And once you start tr- uh, going into meditation, you'll find out why. Now, for a creative person, which is why I really started into meditation, because I really felt that I wasn't using all my senses. And when I would ask a question, it has to, it, you know, something that matters to you, it took a long time before I got an answer. A lot of things had to be in line. I had to quit forcing things on, in my daily life before I had enough of a, of a path in my meditation to be able to receive an answer. I hope that makes sense. Certainly, once you try it, that's why it is very difficult to explain. There are so many intangibles. The, 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 the biggest benefit in meditation has nothing to do with the artistry and the work I'm talking about. But the relaxation, the lack of stress, uh, there are so many, take some time if, you, if you, you're not sure about meditation, take some time and Google uh, the benefits, the side benefits. But the, these are intangible things. You can't, you can't say if you meditate for 10 minutes, this muscle will relax. And if you meditate for a half an hour, you won't have this habit. It's not, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't work like that. But once you start meditating and you see and you, and you see the reaction of your body and your mental state, if you just keep going on it every day, five minutes, if it, if it takes music or if it takes dolphin sounds or rain sounds, go for it. Maybe five minutes before you go to bed. 
you just can't be thinking about your work or anything else. It has to be about finding the silence. You, you will have to try this again and again until the silence sits there without thoughts bombarding you. And you will be able to ask a question and up from the center will, be, will, will come an answer. But you have to understand that life right now, most humans live life by a calendar that is very linear laid out on a line. There's the past, there's now, and then there's the future over there. What I want you to start thinking about is that our lives are cyclical. We live in a cyclical nature. All you have to do is take this linear calendar and put it in, uh, in a circle and put all the different um, months around it to find out how cyclical our lives are. Spring, spring equinox, then you have the summer solstice, you have fall, and you have winter. These are four big signposts on this cyclical calendar that we live. And because of... Uh, all the things we need to accomplish, we have to have a calendar of one, two, three, four, five, and I have to do this on Tuesday, and on Wednesday I do this, and on Wednesday I do that. That's fine, but there are cycles. And I found, uh, I started studying this sort of stuff and researching it and asking people about cycles and solstice and all these mystical things decades ago. And one of the things that happened when I when we started our publishing company is when you start talking about dates uh, to publish a book, it's pretty random. You've got 365 of them. You start with, I don't want to do it on Sunday, or I don't want to do it on Saturday, and some authors do do it on Saturday. Uh, th th it's, it's very random. Until you start looking at cycles especially for women, we are, we are natural for this, right? But the cycles, are, are, they start, and I would suggest you start this new cyclical um, idea in your mind. They start with new moons and full moons. Start there. That's where I started. A new moon means one thing. A full moon means another. And then you start, you start placing out wh what might be good, a good time and what might be a bad time, and you start discovering other things in the middle of this. And the reason I say to get in this cyclical pattern is because this, this podcast is sacred to psychic. I'm not promising you that you will be able to foretell the future, because none of us can to uh, a regular and exact degree. But what you can do when you get in the, in the groove of these cycles is that you will feel a different drumbeat in your own metabolism. You will feel a more organic connection, I believe, as, as long as it's attached to meditation. Uh, it needs to be attached. To, I told you from the beginning, meditation is the key. 
It is, it is the key, it is the doorway, and it is the path. Because from there, you can make it your own. And the connection you are trying to get has nothing to do with something outside of yourself. That is striving for something. That's not what this is about. Meditation is about center. It's about your own ability to control yourself, which includes your diet, your drinking, your drugs, your addictions, all sorts of things. Because this is your responsibility. It is not up to a God to make the path for you easier. In fact, I'm going to be, this is one of those disruptive sentences. Nobody owes you anything. And life is terribly unfair. Take St. Jude's Hospital if you need an example. That is the conundrum of life especially if you're in a traditional religion, how do you explain God punishing children? Quote, unquote, punishing. People, we have bodies. They have, we're, we're, we're creatures. In, we are spiritual beings in a physical body. And we have to take care of this car, this physical car we're in. And I say car because a lot of people take better care of their cars than they do their own body. Live in a rural area sometime. I am always amazed because I've lived in rural area a lot of my life, even beyond New York and L.A. and all these big cities I've lived in. The obesity rate in rural areas is astronomical. Something is wrong. It is, it is not outside that's causing that. It is an internal disconnect that's causing it. Now, I'm not talking about diagnosed weight issues or addiction issues, okay? I said this in the first, in the, in the introduction. I'm talking to people who, are, who have a grip on themselves and their life and are looking for more than what they're getting from their church or their priest or no connection at all, which a lot of women have felt ever since the traditional religions turned into, I, I don't know what, sexual dorms. Uh, you know, just terrible uh, what has been happening in religion after religion. And it is, it is something that has caused women to flock away from their churches. And the disconnect is real. And meditation can change that. You find a different way. But as you know, I have always had trouble with the traditional, even though that was the one thing my mother was in intent on doing, and that is drilling Christianity as my way of life. And it and it happened. It worked for a long time, except because of who I am, because of the imprint, because of the tattoo, the cosmic tattoo 
that was laid across my, <laughs> my soul when I dropped into Columbia, Missouri because I have a different imprint. Everybody has a different imprint. We'll talk about that more. But the, the important thing is to, to get in a place where you're safe, your phones are off, and you're quiet. And you have to keep the television out of your head. If there's something on TV that is making you upset, quit watching it. You have a choice. It isn't, it isn't any, no one can make you do something. You choose every action. You choose everything you do. And if you don't, if you can't choose, then you have a big problem. And you have to figure out how to get into a place where you can choose again. And you have to, you'll have to build yourself up for that if you're in a situation that is um, limiting. Believe me, I've been there. That's what the meditation, the meditation just keeps you in line and keeps you focused on your own peace of mind. And that's where the law of attraction can hook in. It can't hook into a crazy mind that has no focus. You have to be able to separate from the craziness of society, civilization, and the bad things going around in the world and your own life. You have to keep a presence for your, for your family, for your kids, for whomever, but most importantly for yourself because you can't do anything for anyone that you haven't done for yourself, including love yourself. That is the most important thing because the main job is for you to find why you're here and to find a way to do that thing, whatever it is. And it's going to surprise you at different times in your life. But one of the things you have to get out of doing is asking for help from outside. You have to ask for help from inside your silent space during meditation into a into the void into the silence that is the universal mind does it need a name once you be once you start getting an, once you start getting answers or suggestions when you get more advanced you'll understand because the, the object of live, and I'll go into detail as, as these podcasts go on, but uh, the, the object of the letting go of linear and going to a cyclical to acknowledge uh, spring, that is a big occasion. That is a cosmic occurrence where nature changes. So why wouldn't you if, you've, if you tap into it? The solstice. Now, you don't, you, you don't have to go out and do a, a ceremony or anything. You can light a candle. But solstice is a changing of the seasons. Fall, and then there's winter. These things, these cyclical things, and then you add full moons and new moons. And get in the habit of this. 
not having a Monday through Friday, I do this on Monday, I do this on Tuesday, I do this on Wednesday. Schedules, I understand, I, I, can't, I can't help, I can't help uh, women and men with lots of children. Uh, you know, you have schedules, you have volleyball, you have this, you have that. You still have to have one or two days. That's what the weekend is for. You have to have one or two days where you just let your fancy move you. Through meditation, maybe you'll get an idea or maybe some synchronicity or serendipity will come in and it will be a private note to you that I was just thinking about that and I just saw that. That's weird. And then it just keeps happening. These are just, these are just little cosmic occurrences that is like a star. It's like a shooting star. It's just one of those moments. But the cyclical nature is where the real juiciness of this is for creativity. Because in this cyclical nature, with the new moon and the full moon and everything in between and everything around it, there are times to plant just like a farmer. There are times to harvest. There are times to do nothing. And it's a whole different way of life. It starts with meditation. Getting rid of the tension in your body. Just keep pushing. Acknowledge the thoughts. Push them away. Take a breath in the silence. That is the connection. That's where the connection lies. Now, I'm going to segue... This is a very long piece I'm going to read you. I don't know if I can even fit it in. <laughs> it's like trying to read one of my books to you, right? I can only fit in a little bit in, in a podcast. But I did want to uh, begin this, and I'll go as far as I can, and then we'll continue next week. Uh, it, is, it is out of print. You can't get it. I, you can get it on the web. It's not, it's not easy to find. It, it was written by a British writer. His name was Alan W. Watts in the 20th century. Uh, I think he died in the early 70s. And it was a piece uh, written for Playboy. And it is, uh, the title of it is The World's Most Dangerous Book. And I think it is very instructive. I think it... Um, I think it's important. It may, if you are a devout Catholic or uh, a um, Southern Baptist, hang on. I want you to. I want all of you to be aware that these are not my words. I am reading this. This man, if you Google him, he was uh, he was a famous uh, philosopher and uh, teacher, and he was an explainer of Asian philosophy, and he was very well respected. There are a bazillion YouTube videos uh, of his voice, and some of them are really wonderful. His name is Alan W. Watts again. But this is, um, this is a long piece, and it was, um, it was a big deal back in the day. And here we go. 
For many centuries, the Roman Catholic Church was opposed to translating the Holy Scriptures into quote-unquote vulgar tongue. To this day, you can still get rid of a Bible salesman by saying, but we are Catholics and, of course, don't read the Bible. The Catholic hierarchy included subtle theologians and scholars who knew very well that such a difficult and diverse collection of ancient writings, taken as the literal word of God, would be wildly and dangerously interpreted if put in the hands of ignorant and uneducated peasants. Likewise, when a missionary boasted to George Bernard Shaw of the numerous converts he had made, Shaw asked, Can these people use rifles? Oh, indeed, yes, said the missionary. Some of them are very good shots. Whereupon Shaw scolded him for putting us all in peril in the day when those converts waged holy war against us for not following the Bible in the literal sense they gave to it. For the Bible says, quote, What a good thing it is when the Lord putteth into the hands of the righteous invincible might, end quote. But today, especially in the United States, there is a taboo against admitting that there are enormous numbers of stupid and ignorant people in the bookish and literal sense of the words. They may be highly intelligent in the arts of farming, manufacture, engineering, and finance, and even in physics, chemistry, or medicine, but this intelligence does not automatically flow over to the fields of history, archaeology, linguistics, theology, philosophy, and mythology, which are what one needs to know in order to make sense out of such archaic literature as the books of the Bible. This may sound snobbish, for there is an assumption that in the Bible, God gave his message in plain words for plain people. Once, when I had given a radio broadcast in Canada, the announcer took me aside and said, don't you think that that if there is a truly loving God, he would have given us plain and specific guide as to how to live our lives. On the contrary, I replied, a truly loving God would not stultify our minds. He would encourage us to think for ourselves. I tried then to show him that his belief in the divine authority of the Bible rested on nothing more than his own personal opinion, to which, of course, he was entitled. This is basic. The authority of the Bible, the church, the state, or of any spiritual or political leader is derived from the individual followers and believers since, since it is the believer's judgment that such leaders and institutions speak with a greater wisdom than their own. This is obviously a paradox, for only the wise can recognize wisdom. Thus, Catholics criticize Protestants for following their own opinions and understanding the Bible as distinct from the interpretations of the church which originally issued and authorized the Bible. But Catholics seldom realize that the authority of the church rests, likewise, on the opinion of its individual members that the papacy and the councils of the church are authoritative. The same is true of the state, for, as a Frenchman said, people get the government they deserve. Why does one come to the opinion that the Bible, literally understood, is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Usually because one's quote-unquote elders and betters, or an impressively large group of one's peers, have this opinion. 
But this is to go along with the Bandor Log or Monkey Tribe in Rudyard Kipling's Jungle Books, who periodically get together and shout, We all say so, so it must be true. Having been a grandfather for a number of years, I am not particularly impressed with patriarchal authority. I am of an age with my own formerly impressive grandfathers, one of whom was a fervent fundamentalist or literal believer in the Bible, and I realize that my opinions are as fallible as theirs. But many people never grow up. They stay all their lives with a passionate need for eternal authority and guidance, pretending not to trust their own judgment. Nevertheless, it is their own judgment, willy-nilly, that there exists some authority greater than their own. The fervent fundamentalist, whether Protestant or Catholic, Jew or Muslim, is close to reason and even communication for fear of losing the security of childish, childish dependence. He would suffer extreme emotional heebie-jeebies if he didn't have the feeling that there was some external and infallible guide in which he could trust absolutely and without which his very identity would dissolve. This attitude is not faith. It is pure idolatry. The more deceptive idols are not images of wood and stone, but are constructed of words and ideas, mental images of God. Faith is an openness and trusting attitude to truth and reality, whatever it may turn out to be. This is risky and adventurous. This is a risky and adventurous state of mind. Belief in the religious sense, a compulsive clinging to the idea that the universe is arranged and governed in such and such a way. Belief is holding to a rock. Faith is learning how to swim, and this whole universe swims in boundless space. Thus, in much of the English-speaking world, the King James Bible is a rigid idol, all the more deceptive for being translated into the most melodious English and for being an anthology of ancient literature that contains sublime witness along with barbaric histories and the war songs of tribes on the rampage. All this is taken as the literal word and counsel of God, as it is by fundamentalist Baptists, Jesus freaks, Jehovah's Witnesses, and comparable sects, which by and large know nothing of the history of the Bible, of how it was edited and put together. So, we have with us the social menace of a huge population of intellectually and morally irresponsible people. Take a ruler and measure the listings under churches in the yellow pages of the phone directory. You will find that the fundamentalists have by far the most space. And under what pressure do most hotels, motels place Gideon Bibles by the bedside Bibles, with clearly fundamentalist introductory material, taking their name Gideon from one of the more ferocious military leaders of the ancient Israelites. As is well known, the enormous political power of fundamentalists is what makes legislators afraid to take laws against victimless 
quote-unquote sins and crimes off the books, and what corrupts the police by forcing them to be armed preachers enforcing ecclesiastical laws in a country where church and state are supposed to be separate, ignoring the basic Christian doctrine that no actions or abstentions from actions are of moral import unless undertaken voluntarily. Freedom is risky and includes the risk that anyone may go to hell in his own way. Now, the King James Bible did not, as one might gather from list, listening to fundamentalists, descend with an angel from heaven, A.D. 1611, when it was first published. It was an elegant but often inaccurate translation of Hebrew and Greek documents composed between 900 B.C. and A.D. 120. There is no manuscript of the Old Testament, that is, of Hebrew scriptures written in Hebrew earlier than the 9th century B.C., but we know that these documents were first put together and recognized as the holy scriptures by the Convention of Rabbis in Palestine shortly before A.D. 100. On their say-so, likewise, the composition of the Christian Bible, which documents to which documents to include and which to drop, was decided by a council of the Catholic Church held in Carthage in the latter part of the 4th century. Several books that had formerly been read in churches, such as The Shepherd of Hermas and The Marvelous Gospel of St. Thomas, were then excluded. The point is that books translated in the King James Bible were declared canonical and divinely inspired by the authority, A, of the Synod of Jamnia, and B, of the Catholic Church meeting in Carthage more than 300 years after the time of Jesus. It is thus that fundamentalist Protestants get the authority of their Bible from Jews who had rejected Jesus and from Catholics whom they abominate as the scarlet woman mentioned in Revelation. The Bible, to repeat, is an anthology of Hebrew and late Greek literature edited and put forth by a council of Catholic bishops who believed that they were acting under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Before this time, the Bible as we know it did not exist. There were the Hebrew scriptures, and they're translated into Greek, uh, goes on, which was made in Alexandria between 250 B.C. and 100 B.C. There were also various codices or Greek manuscripts of various parts of the New Testament, such as the four Gospels. There were numerous other writings circulating among Christians, including the Epistles of St. Paul and St. John, the Apocalypse, Revelation, and such documents later excluded as the Acts of John and the Didache, the, the Apostolic Constitutions and the various Epistles of Clement, Ignatius, and Polycarp. In those days and until the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century, the scriptures were not understood exclusively in a literal sense. From Clement of Alexandria, 2nd century, to St. Thomas Aquinas, 13th century, the great theologians, or fathers of the church, recognized four ways of interpreting the scriptures, the literal or historical, the moral, the allegorical, and the spiritual, and they were overwhelmingly interested in the last three. 2nd century, 
regarded much of the Old Testament as puerile, if taken literally. And Jewish theologians were likewise preoccupied, sorry, were likewise preoccupied with finding hidden meanings in the scriptures. For the concern of all these theologians was to interpret the biblical texts in such a way as to make the Bible intellectually respectable and philosophically interesting. Concern over the historical truth of the Bible is relatively modern, whether in the form of fundamentalism or of scientific research. But when the Bible was translated and widely distributed as a result of the invention of printing, it fell into the hands of people who, like the Jesus freaks of today, were simply uneducated and who, as the depressed classes of Europe, eventually swarmed over to America. This is naturally a heroic generalization. There were and are fundamentalists learned in languages and sciences, although the standard translation in the Bible into Chinese is said to be in fearful taste, just as there are professors of physics and anthropology who somehow manage to be pious Mormons. Some people have the peculiar, peculiar ability to divide their minds into watertight compartments, being critical and rational in matters of science, but credulous as children when it comes to religion. Such superstition would have been relatively harmless if the religion had been something tolerant and pacific, such as Taoism or Buddhism. But the religion of the literally understood Bible is chauvinistic and militant. It is on the march to conquer the world and to, do, and to establish itself as the one and only true belief. Among its more popular hymns are such battle songs as Mine eyes have seen the glory and onward Christian soldiers. The God of the Hebrews and Arabs and the Christians is a mental idol fashioned in the image of the great monarchs of Egypt and Persia. It was possibly the Pharaoh of Egypt who gave Moses the idea of monotheism as suggested in Freud's Moses and monotheism. I'm, uh, this, as an aside to this, um, this gentleman, Alan Watts, obviously early, mid-20th century, uh, Freud was still very big by the time he died in 73. I am not a Freud person. I've, I've read him, studied him, don't get me started. But, of course, I'm a woman, so I wouldn't be. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Certainly the veneration of God as, quote, king of kings and lord of lords, end quote, borrows the official title of the Persian emperors. Thus, the political pattern of tyranny, beneficent or otherwise, of rule by violence, whether physical or moral, stands firmly behind the biblical idea of Jehovah. When one considers the, architect, the architecture and ritual of churches, whether Catholic or Protestant, it is obvious until most recent times that they are based on royal or judicial courts, a monarch who rules by force sits in the center, central court of his dojo with his back to the wall flanked by guards and those who come petition him for justice or to offer tribute must kneel or prostrate themselves simply because these are difficult positions from which to start a fight. 
Such monarchs are, of course, frightened of their subjects and constantly on the anxious alert for rebellion. Is this an appropriate image for the inconceivable energy that underlines the universe? True, the altar throne in Catholic churches is occupied by the image of God in the form of one crucified as a common thief, but he hangs there as our leader in subjection to the Almighty Father, King of the universe, propitiating him for those who have broken his not always reasonable laws. And what of the curious resemblance between Protestant churches and courts of law? The minister and the judge wear the same black robe and throw the book at those assembled in pews and various kinds of boxes, and both ministers and judges have chairs of a state that are still, in effect, thrones. The crucial question, then, is that if you picture the universe as a monarchy, how can you believe that a republic is the best form of government and so be a loyal citizen of the United States? It is thus that fundamentalists veer to the extreme right-winged in politics, being of the personality type that demands strong external and paternalistic authority. Their quote-unquote rugged individualism and their racism are founded on the conviction that they are the elect of God the Father, and their forebears took possession of America as the armies of Jehovah as the armies of Joshua took possession of Canaan, treating the Indians as Joshua and Gideon treated the Bedouin of Palestine. In the same spirit, the Protestant British, Dutch, and Germans took possession of Africa, India, and Indonesia, and the rigid Catholics of Spain and Portugal colonized Latin America. Such territorial expansion may or may not be practical politics, but to do it in the name of Jesus of Nazareth is an outrage. The Bible is a dangerous book, though by no means an evil one. It depends largely on how you read it, with what prejudices, and with what intellectual background. Regardless as sacred and authoritative, such a complex collection of histories, legends, allegories, and images becomes a monstrous Rorschach blot in which you can picture almost anything you want to discover, just as one can see cities and mountains in the clouds or faces in the fire. Fundamentalists prove the truth of the Bible by trying to show how the words of the prophets have foretold events that have come to pass in relatively recent times. But any statistician knows that you can find correlations, if you want to, between almost any two sets of patterns or rhythms between the occurrence of sunspots and fluctuations of the stock market, between the lines and bumps on your hand and the course of your life, or between the architecture of the Great Pyramid and the history of Europe. This is because vision, or the brain's ability to project visions and form its own into any material whatsoever. But scholars of ancient history find the remarks of the prophets entirely relevant to events of their own time in the near ancient East. The biblical prophets were not so much predictors as social commentators. Uh, that's where I'm going to have to leave it uh, this week. It is a fascinating, um, it's a fascinating piece. Again, it's The World's Most Dangerous Book by uh, philosopher 
Alan W. Watts, and he's also a he was a scholar as well. So he's got. You can tell in the, in the writing, he's got all sorts of uh, knowledge that came about <laughs> in many different ways, I'm sure. But uh, his words really, I think it was about the, it was about everything that's going on and also just my own feelings uh, about and my own uh, arc of discovering in my own faith how I found meditation and what it has led me to. Uh, letting go of that patriarchal uh, outside force and finding the inside force has opened up my mind to creative uh, expression that I never knew existed in my arsenal. And I say that as, uh, this is someone who has been blessed with incredible gifts as an artist and... Um, All these things, these disruptive ideas, are important for a lot of reasons. And the most is the what is happening in our world right now. And the reason I, I really implore you to try to change your daily habits, uh, your daily thinking, to a cyclical pattern like spring and for the, to give you the best example is everybody makes New Year's Eve resolutions, it seems, what I'm going to do next year. Well, New Year's Eve is a, a, as days goes, it's a great day, it's a fun day, but a much more powerful day to do those types of uh, pronouncements about your future and what you want to have is on the winter solstice. That's the day you should do it. The reason so many, uh, and I'm not the first, I, I'm not the first to say this. Uh, the reason so many people can't keep their uh, New Year's resolution is there's no energy behind it. You, you, have to, you have to link up with the seasons. You have to link up with what's happening in the universe. You have to connect to the void uh, between your breath and a thought. There is magic here. Magic that the mystics have known for centuries. That's the reason they've been hounded. They've been everything you can name. You are God. It's as simple as that. He's not, he is not outside you. If you're a woman, she's inside you. All of our impediments lay in the foundation of this, this organized uh, idea about how life should be lived. At one point, 2,000 years ago, or what, you know, it was needed. There, was, there wasn't a society. There wasn't structure. You had to build. I, everybody understands. But within that, the weakest people that were tied to these, these patriarchal, um, this patriarchal architecture used, used the power to say that they knew more than you do as just a regular citizen. That is not true. 
the priest spends all his or her time, and I say her because the Episcopal Church has priests and they're women. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't belong to it if they didn't. Um, I am a, a rebel Episcopalian because all my work is meditation and connecting and other things now. But this, this is a way to control and if you make God, if you make God <laughs> male, it shuts women out. And it's really not any more difficult than that. And it's been 2,000 years, and it's time for a re-education. You've been listening to Sacred to Psychic. I'm Taylor Marsh. You can reach me at www.taylormarsh.com. And remember, it's not fate, it's your choices. <laughs> <laughs>